Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast where no one is safe from existential crises, not even toys. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we are talking about the Pixar animated film Toy Story. Directed by John Lasseter, the film premiered in November 1995 and was the studio's first feature film as well as the first entirely computer-animated feature film. The story follows the hidden lives of toys, all of whom are animated and can talk, as they live out their lives while their humans are away. Woody, the cowboy leader of a group of toys owned by the young boy Andy, is happy to live a simple life where he is Andy's favorite toy. But all of this changes with the introduction of Buzz Lightyear, a new action figure that Andy receives for his birthday. Woody, now jealous of Buzz, seeks to find a way to bring himself back as Andy's favorite toy, no matter the consequences. The film was met with critical acclaim, making $363 million worldwide on a $30 million budget, with critics praising the 3D animation, screenplay, musical score, and voice talent. And as of this recording, Toy Story has a 100% rating review on Rotten Tomatoes. In 2005, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, just like Shrek, and has spawned three sequel films and a spin-off as addition to the franchise. And as always, there will be spoilers. I mean, three sequels, but not all sequels are created equal, right? That's true. I, I mean, we might be, we might talk about that. Um, all right. So, I remember watching Toy Story a bunch as a kid. Uh, it was Toy Story and Toy Story Two. I was born after this film was released, so presumably through VHS uh, tapes or reruns on shows i had quite a an exposure to toy story i feel like as i was re-watching this most recent uh viewing of toy story i was slowly remembering bits and pieces of it as it came back to me uh and a lot of the things that i noticed on the the second rewatch of course were all the adult jokes that were hidden in pixar's uh script as well as some of the more uh, more nuanced takes on the tone of woody and buzz's arc and also i just got to rewatch reenjoy uh, a film that i loved as a kid uh now as an adult i really do like this film it's a really solid start for the first computer animated film ever made. I didn't really realize that before doing research on this uh, this film, that this was the first one. Uh, and whether or not it shows its age, we will talk about uh, in this podcast. But I do think that this is a real classic in the Pixar lineup, and it does deserve the addition to the National Film Registry because it is culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant in all three of those categories. Yeah, it got um, upgraded from or to and. That is true. <laughs> well, I did a little bit of a, a freestyling with that quote, so to speak. Um <sighs> freestyling is what we do here on best seat on the couch obviously <laughs> so what about the rest of y'all for toy story for me it was an addition to my childhood film lineup it wasn't particularly significant to me but i certainly remember remember quite a lot about it but what about the rest of y'all what was your experiences and impressions of toy story yeah so i also watched this plenty as a kid you know it was one of the one of the vhs's we had on the shelf along with uh you know like beauty and the beast and you know the original star wars and stuff you know you you've you've got all your uh like the classics right of the the video cassette era uh i really was surprised 
by how much I did remember and how much I didn't remember simultaneously when rewatching this. Because a lot of the large strokes, you know, were, were still in my brain. You know, Buzz gets knocked out the window kind of on accident, kind of on purpose. They both end up making their way to Pizza Planet. Buzz jumps in the crane game. Sid grabs him and goes home. He sees the commercial and tries to fly out the window and everything. But so much of the texture of the movie, I guess, had been lost to time. And it was honestly really gratifying to like go back and, and be like, oh, yeah, this was a really good movie. It's not just my nostalgia, you know? Uh, I mean, obviously, nostalgia is like a rose-colored glasses over everything. You know, I'm, I'm sure that if this movie were released today with the same story and like modern animation, I'd probably have, you know, some slightly harsher things to say about it. But like, this was an important movie to me as a kid. And I, I think... There really was a lot for, you know, an all-ages audience, not just for the kids, you know. it. Uh, I think that's a balance that a lot of children's movies, at least in my view, sort of struggle with these days. Uh, you know, putting in stuff that makes it still play well to adults, you know, stuff that is beyond just, oh, hey, we're going to laugh at the physical humor, you know, we're going to laugh at the fart joke, etc., etc. Like, there was, you know, some really like interesting character focus on these you know how woody and buzz kind of deal with their realities with their rivalry you know the, this sort of changing places this uh, you know existential question of like who and what am i and what am i for um and even just the way it was all couched you know woody's sort of uh like beleaguered but you know at large and in charge kind of staff manager. I love how we call it a staff meeting, like at the very beginning of the movie. The the anxiety of all the toys who, you know, are we going to get replaced? Uh, the 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 conversations about, like, um, how Buzz Lightyear, you know, is like, you're a toy, no, I'm real. Like, the, the, the whole shtick, it, it just, it all played very easily. It's an easy movie to watch. And not in the way that it's, you know, simplistic, but it just, it's, it's... It just tells you. I don't know. Sort of rambling on here, but I like it. So I feel like it's been a while since, maybe just for me, that I can remember, that we've talked about a movie this old, or at least this part of my childhood, uh, because I remember nothing about this movie. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the, the the brain damage has returned. It's been a oh, while. Really? But, uh, we're back. Never, we're oh, back. You're not, you're, left, you know, Correct. you're not brain damaged. <laughs> you're just victim to like a memory parasite. That's exactly. all. Yeah. Um, so I literally, not literally, because like there are some, I, the only thing I can distinctly remember is the rocket at the end, the final scene. That's literally all I can remember. Everything wow. else has been erased from my memory. And I've asked my mom because she's like, yeah, I remember this movie so much because you forced me to watch it so often. Yeah. So, <laughs> I guess I had watched this movie a lot. It did come out a year before I was born. Um but, Wait, am I the only one who's older than this movie? Yes. I believe so. Yes, because this yeah. came out yeah. in November, right? And your birthday. yeah, in November. Huh? Okay. Yeah, I'm like I'm like uh, barely made it in. There you go. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Really, I worked very hard to achieve this. <laughs> and um, additionally, I think that part of my memory of this movie is conflated with the second one, and also the tin toy animated short that preceded this movie, the the one with the enormously terrifying baby and um, the one that kind of oh, sp God, the yeah. sparked this, this, this whole movie to begin with. So I was like, where's the baby in this movie? It's terrifying, but it wasn't in this <laughs> one. Um, but also for like, you know, Toy Story 2 references, I was like, Toy Story 1 is the one where Woody gets captured by that collector guy, right? Uh, no, <laughs> wrong one. Um, anyway. Which is funny because like, I feel like Toy Story 2 also has like such a, a grip in you know at least for me like my 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 past consciousness of like movies at the time yeah yeah i, I thought zerg was gonna come in to that's, Toy Story yeah that, that's what i was oh, waiting for i was yeah. like where the fuck is zerg yeah so. no 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 see I, I i knew it wasn't zerg i knew that was all coming later but it, they do sort of feel like very close together in my brain yeah um and what didn't help conflate all of these memories is the fact that a few months ago maybe a few weeks ago at this point I watched the newly released spin-off movie Lightyear and <laughs> it was so fascinating to watch that movie and also see people's reactions to it because um, I don't really know the general consensus of it but I actually thought it was like pretty decent it was like pretty good and the whole lore we, is that that should we talk about it on the podcast I'll, we could talk about it for sure I'll briefly say that like you know the lore is that Lightyear is the movie in the universe of Andy that spawned the 
the line of toys that created Buzz Lightyear as a toy, right? Oh. And yeah, for me, it's just like it's just fascinating that they were able to come up with that shit because it's honestly kind of awesome. Anyway, with that with that out of the way, all after rewatching this movie and overcoming my mental damage, um, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's so weird because it feels like I'm now watching this as an adult rather than actually having any nostalgia, and it's really good. <laughs> Like it's a good damn movie. The writing in this movie is somehow so good. Um, I'll talk about it when I get to my favorite scene later. But like, there uh, there were so many avenues where I could see like like you know that like a lesser movie would have taken a different avenue here. But like there they like they made like all the right choices and so many like iconic moments of this film are like super famous and like it's all like I don't know I don't even know what it is. I think that's so, first like. They they really nailed it on the first on the first go, just like surprisingly, and like it was it's awesome. Um, so yeah, I like this is a great movie, and uh, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, and especially being like the the sort of entry, you know, their first uh, attempt to throw their hat into the ring, both in like making feature length films and also you know computer animation feature-length films, like, you sort of have to wonder if Toy Story had not been as amazing of a movie as it was, would, you know, the 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 future of movie making have significantly changed? That's sort of what I was thinking when I wanted to, like, talk about this one, because it's, like, it's not just, you know, like, significant to us as, like, you know, this was a, a big, good movie when we were kids. It's, like, this is kind of foundational for what has become, like, almost the entirety of, you know, big-budget cinema these days. I, what, what does anyone know what the second Disney Pixar movie that came after Toy Story is? Is it? A I believe it Bugs was a Bug's Life. Life. Yeah. Bug's Life. Bugs Life. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's that's what I remember because I remember that you know Toy Story hit it out of the park and then their second one was like it was good but it it was like Are you definitely me? I love Bugs Life. It was hard to keep the, up the expectations. That's I, true. For, that, to be fair, I haven't seen Bugs Life in forever, so I really can't. It, it would be hard to follow Toy Story in that line, but Bugs Life definitely. It's, I mean, they both show their age. Bugs Life, I think, was just a worse movie overall as well. But uh, I, too, remember absolutely nothing about watching this movie as a kid, so I watched it as an adult, same as Michael. Um, yeah, and I, I think a lot of your points about how this is, like, a, they made all the right decisions, whoever said that. That's definitely a very apt phrase for this movie. I think their humor was on point, and, you know, it not only was it on point, it was actually fairly, fairly mature uh for a kids movie i guess compared to kids movies now which i guess you know they rely more on pop culture references and inside jokes and fart jokes and shit like that so it's good to see a movie that you know obviously didn't necessarily have to rely on that because that wasn't really the culture of the time but also you know actually succeed in the humor where it didn't need to resort to that stuff um and i think a lot like a lot of like I don't believe that man has a medical license. Fucking floors me. Uh, floors me this time. I remember it floors me when I was when I was a kid too. It was really just funny stuff. Um, I think uh, you know we will talk about the quality of the animation, and I think it definitely does show its age. Uh, it's uh, there are some, it, you know, it kind of reminds me of like Gary's mod, where like the lips will clip <laughs> towards the side of the face. Like you saw that sometimes when Woody would be opening his mouth and stuff. I don't, I don't know why it was Gary's mod that my mind went to first, but I think that's pretty, like... It's actually called Woody's mod, so... <laughs> but yeah, like, I think that we'll definitely have a discussion about, like, yeah, if anything, how the technology has improved quite vastly over where, it, you know, it started. Uh, but yeah, really nothing nothing necessarily too bad to say. But I, th- I do think that there are some moments that, especially with Buzz's kind of... Uh, realization of purpose i guess that feel like they kind of the pacing is a little weird but otherwise it's a very fun very entertaining movie the entire way it's uh it's i think woody and buzz are refreshingly strong characters in a kid's movie that's really fun to see and really fun to like follow along with them yeah and we've sort of been like referencing you know oh the writing is like better than a lot of kids movies oh the writing does a good job of like having depth and nuance to it i want to this scene is popping into my mind as not like perhaps the example but a good example right of 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 you know calling attention to it um and it's the scene where uh buzz is 
you know, he's got his cardboard rocket ship, right? And he's putting it up on the blocks and like he's gonna, you know, an engine block, he's gonna take a look at the bottom and Snake and Robot are there like handing him pieces of tape, you know? And I want to like point out the difference between watching that scene as a kid and watching it as an adult. Because, you know, Woody walks up to him and he's, you know, being like, oh, you know, you stay away from Andy. Like, I don't know what your game is, but he's mine. Okay, you can back off. And I remember as a kid, you know, it's like Buzz Lightyear says, oh, unidirectional bonding strip. And the snake turns to the robot and it's like, Mr. Lightyear wants more tape. And, <laughs> you know, as a kid, I was getting, okay, well, Buzz is saying something weird and funny. And the rest of the toys know that he just wants tape. Isn't that silly? And, you know, Woody's mad at him. And so he's going to pull him out from under. And Buzz, you know, doesn't want to talk to him. So Buzz goes, you know, pushes his skateboard back under the rocket ship and they're having a fight. You know, even if I, I, I was like, you know, Woody's jealous of Buzz and they're sort of having a fight and being mad at each other. That's what I got as a kid. And as an adult, right, you know, watching the scene, all of that is there. You know, Buzz calls tape unidirectional bonding strip. That's goofy. But there's also all this stuff about, you know, the, the struggle Woody has with like, is this guy for real? Like, is he actually... Does he believe that he is the real Buzz Lightyear? You know, the, the way he approaches it, he never just comes out and says it. He never says, like, wait, you think you're real? What is that about? You know, he sort of alludes to it. And it's like, I don't know what your act is. Or, you know, you can drop the Mr. You know, the Buzz Lightyear stuff. You can drop the Star Command stuff. Like, it's so fascinating to watch these characters, like, uh, like play off of each other. And both of them thinks that the other one is like holding out on them in some kind of way, like putting on an act in some sort of way. But you don't need to understand any of that to like enjoy the scene and see like what it's trying to communicate. Like there's multiple levels it's working on simultaneously rather than what I I think a lot of, you know, movies aimed at young kids do nowadays is that there's just sort of two things happening kind of back and forth, you know, we'll have some lines for the kids, we'll have a joke for the adult, we'll go back to the lines for the kids. Like, it's not like you can appreciate the same bits of dialogue on these multiple levels. It's like, it's I, I'm probably overstating it more than, you know, it, it, it necessarily bears. But I do think that, like, it's a subtle, real distinction to a lot of other movie writing that happens. Yeah, no, I definitely see that in this movie on on a later rewatch, the fact that they had so many, uh, so many jokes and moments that were able to be viewed as, as a kid, but also as an adult. Uh, I'm, I can't remember. None are coming to my mind right now, but there were definitely some moments when I was like, "Oh, that is legitimately funny as uh, as an adult, not just a kid's joke." Um, but speaking of funny moments. Why don't we talk a little bit about our favorite characters and favorite moments in Toy Story? Oh, I see Michael wants to go first. So please, Michael, take <laughs> us away. Uh, thank you. Um, so I'll start with my favorite character. And <clears throat> I think, well, I mean, I'm just going to go for it. I think my favorite character is Buzz Lightyear. Um, Yay! And, and this is... And this is related to my favorite scene. So I'll get back to that in a second. But first, I want to just give a shout out to a scene that for me, exemplifies the excellent writing and direction that this that this movie goes under. And that is right after Buzz and Woody finally decide to start helping each other. Um, you know, Buzz has been going mm -hmm. through this existential crisis and Woody is like trying to cheer him up and say like, hey, you know, you're not just a toy. You're like Andy's favorite toy. Like that's a, that's a big deal. Like, you know, we need to work together and get back to Andy, right? And this scene is so perfect because... Again, when I was talking about earlier, I think a lesser movie would, now that they are starting to work together, things are going to make it out okay, right? Things are just going to start going their way. Literally, the first thing that happens after they start working together is they are both trying to push the toolbox and the box off of the shelf at the same time. And that legitimately confused me for a bit. I was like, what, what are they doing, right? They're both trying to accomplish a thing with each other's help, but in different ways, right? And that just is like, such a clear explanation and visual elements towards like, you know, they're working together, but they're still like not of the same mind. They still need to learn how to work together. And like through the course of the next 20 minutes through via like car chases and dog chases, they actually learn how to actually work together. And it's just fascinating to me. I will also point out that, you know, it uh, it adds an opportunity for a brief bit of physical humor. You know, Woody gets flattened by the toy box and it's like, I'm good, you know, which feels like it is not just there for the sake of being there. It's, it's like the end result of this miscommunication. It's the end result of this moment that it's like showing to us that they still have some growing to do. 
but it's it's funny for the kids. Exactly. You know, it's it's funny for the adults too. You know, it you know it's like it's nice to have it be there, connected to something. Yeah, it really feels like to some other part of the story. It feels like they really took their time to develop their friendship and the cooperation, rather than just saying, "Okay, they decided to work together. Let's do it now." Mm-hmm. That being said, my favorite scene. Is Buzz Lightyear going under, undergoing an existential crisis? Uh, to the song sung by the lovely Randy Newman. Randy I, don't Newman. Know, I don't even know. Randy Newman. Randy Newman. Oh my man. gosh! Like I, for literally, I think that you know this 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 movie has music to it, right? But that was the first song that I was like. If there was a Toy Story the musical, that song is in the musical because it's like it's so much like it. You can you can tell at least as an adult who's listening to the lyrics actively that like this is what Buzz's mind is going through. He's like, you know, I'm a fraud. I'm not real. And then there's the whole turn of like, no, I am real. I'm gonna try this. He tries to fly out and he fails. And then it kind of we like see that lovely meme of him falling. Oh man, it's honestly like. The, in, the, in the dejection that he expresses after he realizes that he can't actually fly and he's fallen to the ground, it's just like, God, I'm feeling emotions for this toy right now. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> he goes and gets plastered on Darjeeling, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. They, they, which, another detail I did not get as a kid. Yep. Yeah, and, and also uh, when he falls to the ground, Michael, his arm pops off. And that's like the first moment where he realizes yeah. he is a toy. Holy and shit! It's essentially terrifying. I, that would be terrifying. It. Oh my yeah. god! If like imagine, for, imagine if like you, if your mind was transported into a mechanical body and you were living as a human, but then you realize you're, you're a robot. This is basically um, what's that movie? There's so I, many mo- robot yeah. movies that, I, that do off the top of my head. Thing. There's like Soma, that video game, or it, it yeah. literally just The Matrix. It's like. Oh my god. Um, so yeah, so basically what that scene entails is that I think for me, Buzz's character and specifically his character arc is so well done, I think. Like him witnessing that god, it, it, it would be terrifying also if like you think that you're receiving a message from your higher ups and it's actually like a factory that mass produces you all in a row and you're like, what is real anymore? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it would be You're terrifying. You're fucking Sanmi 451 Cloud Atlas. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I just I just love that. And um, also, because I think, okay, anyway, I think that's all I'll say on Buzz Lightyear for now. But yeah, yeah that's awesome. All right. Uh, it's, it's sort of hard to pick a favorite character because there's not really a lot of like characters that are focused on a lot in this movie. Like this really is, you know, the Buzz and Woody show. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I think... You know, other than that, maybe it's just Sid, who you could say undergoes a character arc, but that's just because he's traumatized. Like, <laughs> you know, he's he's certainly not a protagonist. I I will shout out Woody as being my favorite character, not because I like him the most necessarily, because he's actually pretty damn unlikable for the first like half of the movie or so. You know, we don't they don't spend a lot of time sort of building up his case as the sympathetic you know, we are really, really rooting for him early on. And so when he, you know, acts honestly pretty awful to Buzz, like, understandably so, but like, awful to Buzz, uh, you know, it's kind of easy to get like sort of upset at him. It's kind of easy to be like, hey, you know, you're kind of a dick. Uh, But it was satisfying to sort of see him work his way out of that place. It was satisfying to see him earn the audience's respect back, to earn Buzz's respect to, you know, earn his place back as sort of one of the leaders of Andy's toys and kind of, you know, swallow his humility. I liked his arc. I liked how they brought him from this sort of, like, controlling and sort of, you know, egotistical jerk to, you know, someone who risked his life multiple times for the sake of his former worst enemy. That just brought me back... um... I know that they didn't do this, but I had a memory from Over the Hedge when <laughs> Vern, Vern is the turtle, right? Yeah. Yes. He like comes back and everyone's like, you know, hey, Vern's back. And then, and then some people are like, oh, oh, no, no, Vern is back. But also he comes with the raccoon guy that I forgot. RJ. 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 Yeah. Anyway, there's a span of about five seconds where they're like, RJ, you suck. And then Vern's like, no, he's actually fine. And they're like, okay, we're, we trust you, Vern. Um. This one, when, like, you know, 
Woody actually gets into that truck, and everyone's like, you piece of shit, get out of here. <laughs> like, it actually felt like there was a reasonable amount of doubt that the his friends had. Like, you fucking, like, killed Buzz Lightyear, and now you're trying to get back here? It's like, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. I'm going to say my favorite scene in a second, but I want to point out, like, this movie is kind of brutal when you think about it, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, the existential crises we've talked about, you know, Buzz finding out he's a toy, his fucking arm popping off when he thought he was a flesh and blood human being, right? The Just in general, the horror of living your life as a, a, a toy. Like, when Slinky Dog got stretched oh during the God. truck. Oh, my Lord. Like... He would, they were having, the other toys were having to coil him back together. Like his spring might be permanently damaged because of that. I mean, not to mention all the shit in Toy Story 2 with like the arm ripping open, you know, but like even beyond all the just existential questions posed by the premise, like the behavior is brutal too, because when Buzz falls out the window, like they literally, I mean, yes, it was an, it was an accident caused by what was supposed to be intentional, right? He wanted to knock Buzz behind the nightstand and he accidentally knocked him out the window and the other toys didn't give him a chance to explain they jumped in like about 30 seconds to oh guess we gotta lynch him like <laughs> yeah the fucking edge oh, yeah, yeah. i know <laughs> like oh, they, they they wasted no like someone they've known for years for years at this point they're like oh well guess he's gotta die which by the way i don't even know how they were intending to do that but then later, as you say in the moving van, they throw him out the back of the fucking truck. And obviously, you know, he, you know, they, they think they were justified because they thought he had, like, I don't know, gone insane and was murdering the other toys. Yeah. But it's like, he was, like, they didn't give him a second to be like, hey, no, Buzz is alive. Buzz is okay. They just jumped out. They just jumped him. Like, these toys are fucking brutal. Not to mention, even beyond all this, all the fucking nightmare world of, like, Sid's house. Oh, God. This 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 movie, like, really is, like, fucking terrifying if you think about it. <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure if this movie would get written today. Um, but my favorite scene, my favorite scene has got to be when the toys have their uprising against Sid. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because that etched itself in the memory of every single person who watched it. And I'm pretty sure it's given so many people, like, complexes about treating inanimate <laughs> objects as if they were alive. <laughs> Like, I'm not even joking. Like, there, you know, that's something that's a, that's a thing that, you know, millennials do is, you know, anthropomorphize inanimate objects. And I'm certain that a large percentage of that can be translated directly back to Toy Story and being terrified that your toys would, you know, like, turn on you if you weren't nice to them. Uh, number two, I love that it's a moment of agency. For all these toys, you know, we've gotten to see Sid just, like beat up on them and do these awful fucked up things. And we've sort of seen them like look out for each other. They put each other back together. But it's like these these toys are clearly traumatized. They're terrified of Sid. And, you know, why wouldn't they be? Because they literally like by the laws of their existence have to just like let him mutilate them at random and at his whim, you know, like terrifying. So it's so satisfying to see him like get his comeuppance, you know. Uh, and I also just love that, it, you know, what it means for Woody as a character, because it's the first time, I think, really, that we get to see him, like, jumping into this leadership role and actually having it pan out for him. You know, the only other time was the staff meeting where he sort of just, like, bloviates about, you know, some stuff for a while. And, and then, you know, Buzz shows up and, and kicks him out. Like, we get to see Woody in his prime being a leader and, you know, making a hard decision doing something risky for the sake of Buzz. So, like, that's really the plan to save Buzz's life is, like, what earns him a spot back in, like, the audience's respect. So it's it's just, it works out so well. And, oh, God, is it done well. Like, the, the, the use of the voice box, the toys coming out of the ground, and then animating and saying the words out loud at the very last second. Ugh! Like beautiful beautiful writing of that reveal which honestly would not have been that out of place in a horror movie and i just wanted to quickly add on what you said about woody like becoming a leader actually like really really you're right because like at the beginning of the movie he's a leader just because like he's andy's favorite right that's literally the only reason but by the end of the movie he's a leader because he can actually do things as a leader should it comes from a place of ego it comes from a place of i'm the best so i should be the one to like be in charge but, you know, it, as it goes on, like, that, and as we see in Toy Story 2, like, that's no longer the case. Like, yes, he's one of Andy's favorites. Spoilers. Yes, he's one of the ones in charge. But, like, <laughs> but he's, you know, he's doing it for the sake of everyone, right? For the sake of the family. And, 
you know, people trust him and he like is, is now his priorities are in order. All right. Well, uh, you, my, my favorite moment was kind of stolen. No, you know, no, no hard feelings, but, uh, I do think, okay, first of all, because I can't pick Woody or, uh, Buzz as my favorite character. You can pick Woody or Buzz. I will not. I refuse. <laughs> um, I'm saying that it's Slinky that is my favorite character. Because Slinky. He, is a, Slink. he, he really is the only one who actually is kind of like, doesn't necessarily believe that Woody is telling the truth, but like, he stays there and looks long. He's the last one there in the windowsill. Uh, and like, he, you can tell that he really wants Woody to be like the person that, the leader that he know, he knows he can be. And like, he's, I think Bo he's, Peep is also on Woody's side. Yeah, yeah. But Bo Peep is like, you know, trying to get in Woody's uh trousers you know what i'm saying um but sorry uh <laughs> wait, 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 wait so what's the conclusion here that because like she's attracted to him she also can't like want to believe in him for genuine reasons well i mean sure but with the added bonus of you know <laughs> the woodies generally when i am romantically attracted to someone it means that i want to see them in a good light too and usually i'm friendly with them woody's got a you know woody's got a snake in it <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Someone's someone's poisoned that water hole. If you know what I'm saying. Um, and yeah, I would say I would say my favorite moment is is kind of along the lines of what I guess both of you have been saying, uh, which is where they're you know Woody throws over the the Christmas uh, lights line and is like you know pull me over. Well you know Buzz come over. We're gonna come back to the house and mr potato head is like no you fuck stay the fuck away from us you murderous bitch and then like he turns to buzz and he's like come on buzz and buzz is just like sitting there in his depressive state so he grabs the fucking arm and is like he puts on this whole skit about like yeah he's actually buddy buddy with buzz and you can tell that nobody's getting it it's like it plays into what you had said iris about like the the characters actually have to work to getting the trust back of their friends you know it's not like they start to work together and suddenly everything's happy and the movie's over, you know, like they are running into roadblocks where neither of them, like A, Buzz is not cooperative because he is having an existential crisis and B, Woody can't, can, like can't realistically convince uh, his old friends that like he's actually like not trying to kill Buzz anymore. Like everybody else just thinks that Woody is essentially like, I, I guess this might've just been like me as a subjective thing, but the way that I saw it is that the toys kind of looked up, to Woody is like not a horrible boss but a boss that's like kind of just like on their ass all the time like they're more than willing to you know follow his orders and stuff and work with him and you know they all consider themselves uh you know like a team but in the same way that a company will tell you that they're family like they're not really family right like this fucking like you know this guy is very clearly andy's favorite like he just he has the ego because he knows he had like he knows he's andy's favorite so like you can tell especially mr potato head like is cordial with him but broadly is like as soon as woody does something you know as heinous as trying to kill buzz he's like get the fuck out of here like i hated you the entire time you've always been a conniving bitch and i knew it from the start like that's that's the kind of vibe that I got. So seeing him work back from that, seeing him, you know, as you said, you know, f- fall into the leader position that he, you know, actually can be and actually work towards being a leader uh, in a genuine sense as opposed to just being, you know, there because he's Andy's favorite uh, is very satisfying and more satisfying. Because of it. It's funny, you know, a lot of the time, one of my minor gripes with, uh, you know, movies like this is that occasionally some characters are too quick to trust it's like oh you know xyz person has done like a million bad things and they come back and they say they're sorry it's like oh guess this guy's a good guy now and you know we're just you know it's for the sake of the narrative and they don't have you know like the time or the space in the story to like establish that this person is trustworthy again if anything this movie was kind of the opposite which i don't I can't think of another good example. Like it felt sort of like these people were too quick. The, these characters, the toys were too quick to distrust and too quick to write him off. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's like, definitely, I think makes perfect sense with how the narrative was structured. You know, they needed to be, there needed to be that goal pretty immediately uh, to be the impetus for, for Woody to do like just about anything that he does after leaving Andy's house. But you know, it's, it's, it's curious to me, you know, that it's the, the, the opposite of sort of the trope, I guess I feel like exists. Yeah. And, and my, the complaint that I mentioned earlier, if I can even call it a complaint about how the pacing kind of feels like it, 
isn't really like fast enough or doesn't really stay consistent about through Buzz's whole existential crisis arc is kind of because of that. Like, you know, this movie takes a lot of time to actually establish that, hey, you know, you can't just, you know, fucking trust everybody again. Like, you have to work towards it. And more time than I guess I'm used to, either watching just a regular kids movie or just any movie, rather. Like, this movie actually goes through and is like, hey, I'm going to highlight exactly the reason why these characters can't trust each other right now, even though they're friends. And so that was a little bit like, oh, okay, this movie is actually taking, you know, maybe five minutes to do something that would normally take only one or two. So... Yeah, it's definitely, it is curious. I think that's a good way to put it. It's definitely something that we haven't seen, you know, since. I think Toy Story is one of the few movies that has done it. And uh, it's also something that, you know, messes with the mind a little bit. You know, sometimes you're you're almost wanting to get that gratification earlier. And this movie was like, nope, you got to work for it. But I think it's all the better for it. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And I'll also point out, like, it's funny to me. Buzz is the one who trusts Woody the fastest, you know? Like, like, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, Woody's, like, very genuine, like, confession and contrition, you know, he's genuinely like, no, you're, you're the better toy, and he needs you more than me, like, he swallows his pride to a huge degree, and also compliments Buzz a bunch, which I'm sure doesn't hurt, but, like, you know, Buzz, Buzz really, stand-up guy, honestly, like. No, definitely. Uh, as for my favorite character and favorite moment, um, I think my favorite character that hasn't been taken yet has got to be Mr. Potato Head. Yeah. Because he has he has absolutely no chill, like you guys already <laughs> said. Fucking, yeah. like, that guy, holy shit. He immediately jumps on Woody and was about to kill him. I think they do, <laughs> they do say, like, we're gonna kill you, or something <laughs> along those lines. They imply it very strongly. Yeah, uh, which... On a wild in a kids movie, definitely from the nineties, uh, would not fly today. And the fact that he has like the best, the best jokes, I think. Um, the Iris when we were watching it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he like takes off his mouth and like kisses his own butt with it. So he's like kiss ass for. I, uh, I saw that when he, he's oh calling my Slinky God, a kiss I ass. I didn't even notice that. That's amazing. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I firmly believe that Mr. Potato Head being a shit stirrer is responsible for like sixty percent of the conflict in this movie. No, but it's like, honestly he, he he genuinely like pushed Woody kinda to the edge. It <laughs> was it was like you all said pretty justified in the moment I think because they le- legitimately thought he killed Buzz and then mutilated and eviscerated his body afterwards. So their reaction oh God, to yeah. him coming back to the van. It's pretty justified. <laughs> but yeah, Mr. Potato Head being the sort of uprising leader always makes me laugh. I think it's one of the funniest parts of this movie. The fact that his design kind of clashes with that overall narrative. Uh, and I don't remember if he and Woody are like okay or on good terms for the rest of the movie, if they all sweep this under the rug. And I'm kind of hoping they do because uh, they they did because that would make it infinitely more funny if they <laughs> pretended to be all good instead of constantly being at each other's throats uh, as for my favorite scene i think the resolution of uh woody and buzz's arc uh both in the their like heart-to-heart confession in sid's room in the little uh the plastic box with Woody giving Buzz the pep talk of what it means to be a toy. I think he legitimately says, like, you're you're not a space ranger, space ranger. You're a toy. That's even better than a space ranger. Because you make kids happy. And we get to see the this sort of side to toys and the whole reason why they want to be, like, Andy's favorite or... They want to be with humans is because they want to make these kids happy and having that as sort of the driving force behind many of the actions and the explanation for a lot of the things that happen in this movie. I think it's just such a nuanced take on a part of childhood that before hasn't hadn't been touched on and I still feel like hasn't been touched on as well or in in the same way as uh as toy story did in the fact the the fact of toys being there to want to make kids happy and i think this leads me directly into my next 
next point here is this living hidden world of toys that this film imagines. Uh, I mean, right at the beginning, we are we are led to believe that, or at least I as a kid, after watching Toy Story, was led to believe that whenever I wasn't looking, my stuffed animals were moving, doing their own shenanigans. I'm sure you've heard many stories of kids like, pretending to fall asleep and then sitting up in the middle of the night trying to catch the toys while they were moving. Uh, but the fact that this film can create that sort of universe, this kind of hidden world uh, that's just beyond our awareness, I think is so magical. And it plays directly into the imaginations of kids, which is pretty timeless, regardless of whether or not toys are in the picture. But the fact that they were able to capture so many parts of childhood that I was empathizing with, that I was like, oh, I know that exact feeling when I got a new Transformers toy from my parents or uh, changed my decorations in my room. Um, I think, Marcus, you said this in a separate podcast where kids download their personalities from uh, <laughs> whatever movies or shows they're watching. But that's exactly what happens in this in this show uh, or in this movie. And it's really well done. Uh, I really like this side of childhood this movie explores. Uh, and what about the rest of y'all? What were your thoughts on this a uh, hidden world of toys and the fact that uh, this kind of universe carries over between the franchise films. It's honestly like, there's like so much, there's so there's so much baked into this world in terms of its like implications and its depth that it's like, they only made an hour and a half long movie to explore this world. Um, in the sense that like, if you think about it, the implications of this world are enormous and that's not to say that like you know any sort of any sort of world that pixar imagines isn't sort of enormous in how it portrays the world and stuff like that because like but I, I think that this was obviously it was the first pixar film but one of the only ones that to me made it feel so real um and the the, the reason i describe that is because like you know thinking about other pixar films like um finding nemo um or like um I was about to say cars, but I'm not actually sure if that works. But <laughs> with Finding Nemo, at least to me, there isn't so, there isn't that much human fish interaction. <laughs> um, there is obviously there's some human interaction, like the dentist people and the girl who the girl. kills the goldfish. Um, but like the basically what I'm trying to say is that the mere fact that they came up with this world. And we're willing to break the rules of, you know, literally Woody's like, we got to break some rules. Then he goes to talk to the kids, right? It means and it implies so much of this could be actually reality. Like, we just don't might not know it yet. Whereas Finding Nemo is like, I mean, these are just fish and we can see them. We can see how they act, right? Which is not to say that either one of them is better or worse. But this one in particular means makes it so that it's so much more... Um, grabbing it like really grabs you and really makes you feel like hey this could be actually reality and we just don't know um and what that means is it makes it has this sort of meta effect as iris was talking about earlier where like kids and perhaps even adults begin to literally look at the world in different ways like they begin to humanize the inanimate objects that kids play with and i think that as iris said i totally agree that i think part of like this whole movie's phenomenon is a lot of lot more people doing that sort of stuff, like a, akin to Jurassic Park coming out, and more people become ar becoming archaeologists. Right? Um, it's just fascinating how they were able to take this world and make it feel so real, as well as the fact that this is the first fully three D animated Jupiter film, and this was in nineteen ninety five. Like this, if, if they could do this now, that'd be amazing. But the fact that they did it, freaking almost. 20 odd years ago right 25 years ago is a, a phenomenal yeah it's cl it's closer to 30 which is the scary part oh of fuck yeah let's not talk about it too <laughs> yeah much, huh? yeah Oof. that means that we're closer to 30 huh? oh, i said let's not talk about it too much huh <laughs> anyways uh in a you know talking about existential crises no i'm just kidding uh, i think that there's definitely something 
enthralling about like the i guess there's always been like a, a fascination with the mystery of what goes on beyond what we can see you know for for just people in general and i think that's what makes like toy story is a concept that is so simple it's literally just taking it's it's literally i mean beyond the joke of being like what if toys had feelings it's literally just taking a world that you can't see and just imagine that the same shit that happens with like adults in the human world also happens to toys and like that's what makes it so, you know, like, it's fun to kids because kids are like, you know, they're, they're like wondering about all this stuff and they're, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and stuff. And it's, and it's cool for adults too, because it's like, oh yeah, you know, I also have those, you know, those same experiences or those same, you know, like, uh, like discussions with coworkers or something or like, you know, staff meetings and shit like that. That kind of stuff happens in the real world with adults too. And that's what makes it so like, uh, like that's what makes it so relatable i guess to everyone who watches it and the other thing is that it it opens up so much more in terms of sequels which obviously toy story took advantage of but like when you literally just have a world where all of the people are replaced with toys you could throw any kind of movie into that and toy story you know two and three and four does that they all have different spins on you know what kind of movie they are at their base but they are at their core a movie that is like a conflict that just happens to involve toys instead of humans and that's what i think uh you know as the library of congress says it makes this so like you know it's it, it's something that establishes it's a it's a milestone essentially in what in what animated to uh, animated storytelling is yeah, and I mean, well, you really hit on there, you know, a, a very fundamental idea in in storytelling, just in general, you know, this thought that, you know, not all stories, but many of them, uh, even in fantastic places or situations, circumstances, fantastic people, superpowers, magic, you know, past, future, whatever you want to do, at the core of it, you use those fantastical circumstances to still tell very human stories, right? We're all just retelling the things that happen to us, the things that we see. That's how we communicate stuff. That's how we understand these things. Um, so it's a, it's a very apt point. Uh, everything I'm going to say, I think, is sort of uh, similar to what Michael was saying earlier, maybe slightly restated. But I think the reason this all works so well is that they really did the legwork in figuring out, okay, well, we have our premise. Toys are alive. And when you're not looking, they get up and they walk around and they have their own internal lives. What does that actually look like? What does that actually mean, right? They did the legwork to figure out how that world would coexist with ours. And they let us into that world in a way that was so natural and so much like simply peeling back a curtain to look at a universe that already exists, already has its own rules, you know? And the best part about it is they didn't explain it. And I'm going to, you know, what I mean by that is not that it was entirely opaque to us, like we could figure things out, but everything we understand about the rules of the toy world, we have to figure out. They don't spend any time being like, okay, and this is why toys all freeze. And this is, you know, how toys are, this is the reason toys are alive, you know, you know, and this is like why all the toys, you know, care so much. They didn't tell us any of that shit. They left us to either figure it out for ourselves or to draw our own conclusions. And instead, what we are seeing is days in the life. We see the staff meeting. And the fact that it's, you know, formatted and phrased as a staff meeting and they're, you know, saying, hey, we had a thing last week about, you know, plastic corrosion and, you know, also like uh, the, the you know, Andy's and, you know, the, the, the fact that they know, you know, when Andy's birthday is, when the neighbor kid is getting back from camp, right? Like, they're such small moments but it really gives you a picture of how they operate. You know, there's there's so much going on in this world that just kind of makes this intrinsic sense, even without them having to detail it out or call extra attention to these little moments. And that's because they did the legwork. They did the work of thinking, how would this all work? You know, if we're going to couch the premise in these terms, then how would these toys act? How would these characters act? And it really feels like there's a cohesive and holistic and built out world behind simply the events that we are seeing. You know, there are systems that you can imagine, right? There are, are like histories that you could sort of feasibly put together with the details about this world that they put together. I think it's really, really fantastically well done and understated in such a way because like it's not the main point of the story for sure. Like even as much as I'm monologuing about it right now, the fact that, oh, we're inventing this world of toys isn't the most important thing about Toy Story. 
but all of it works so well because the 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 world that they have invented, the lore, if you want to use that term, the world building, another term, if you want to pull lore. that in here. Lore. All of that is such a solid platform to build upon that lets the rest of the movie succeed the way it does. I just want to bring up because my my brain just went to this, but a very very good example of what you just talked about. Obviously, other than the entire movie, is in the movie the freaking aliens in the claw machine are the yeah. funniest yes! the funniest yes! shit ever. That like, of course they would worship this claw that would randomly take one of them away. You'd be like, I've been chosen. <laughs> it's so funny. And the fact that also so Woody perfect. Cl- well, I want to also point out the fact that Woody calls them zealots. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Which is like, first of all, like just funny in an, in, 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 in the concept of itself. Like, oh, these the, the zealotry of these toys. But also it's like, you know, look at the implications you can get from just a simple word choice as that. That Woody, you know, like understands that these toys are different. They have a different perspective. He has a judgment. He makes a value judgment about the way they think and what they do. You know, they're, they're, he's placing himself in this world you know, of toys and placing these, you know, alien uh, plushies on a different place in that universe, right? Like the fact that he has an opinion about them like this at all. The claw. You know, there's so much work being done with so little. And that's only something you can do when the whole world already exists. Yeah, no, the fact that they were able to make this living, breathing world so cohesive and like you said with so many implications uh, is incredible from the fact that they only chose toys because of the limitations of i was gonna say that animation literally like like toys it works so well because they're supposed to look plastic and they're supposed to sort of be weirdly bendable and like not you know moving how the way you would expect them to yeah and so to end this podcast episode let's all talk about how the 3d animation in this show has aged because I think we alluded to it before at the beginning. Uh, but Marcus, you said this looked like <laughs> Gary's mod, um, which for in those it, of you who don't know... In its worst moments. It doesn't all look like yeah. that. Which, which for those of you don't, who don't know, it's a very old uh, video game, like sandbox, moddable uh, platform you can like program your own game modes on. Uh, it doesn't look too good uh, in certain contexts, but I can definitely see that sentiment... Anytime there is a background shot, like, through the window. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, like, the through the window ones were the worst, like, when they weren't yeah. actually outside. But Look, the skybox like, is here. I know, and, the, like, the shadows were all fucked. Oh, mm-hmm. and, uh, shadows are hard. As well as the fact that yeah. they made this movie about toys because of that plasticky look, it does also mean that the humans kind of suffer a little bit. Yeah. Um, le- anytime we check in with Sid or Sid's sister or even Andy in certain moments, they have a really doll-like look to them. And it's it's a, quite uncanny. However, I will say, not as uncanny as Hoodwink's Yes, thank you. thank you. <laughs> because somehow Hoodwink came out 12 years later uh, and did a worse than Toy Story. Uh, you really think that? I, I, I would... I would still say Marcus, okay, okay, Marcus no, don't embarrass yourself. I, you know what? I can't honestly, I cannot defend it. I know that a lot of, <laughs> especially fucking the wolf's mouth. Holy shit. But, <laughs> so, and the schnitzel kids. Hello. <laughs> yeah. No, all those more guys. Like, um, that's a design choice. That's, that's a design, design choice. Yeah. No, you, you get right the fuck out so, so, here. Disregarding Hoodwink, but I actually think, so yes, the toys, they're meant to look like that. It looks good because of the, the way that the specular highlighting works. It makes them look shiny, which is kind of plasticky, which is perfect. Um, I agree with like the. I, I don't think we actually ever see the mom's face, but like Andy and do we? We see his younger sister as well, um, and we also see Sid's sister. Um, I actually think for Sid, it kind of works because he's okay. terrifying. <laughs> um, and honestly, for me, it works just because like. He has, you know, like bad teeth and sort of like bad hair and stuff like that. So I don't know. It kind of adds to the vibe of what Sid is going for. Um, and also, I was bracing myself for the from the terrifying baby from Tin Toy because I thought that that was actually in this movie. So I was like, oh god, at least it's not the terrifying baby. Holy shit! Because that was, that came out that was in '88. That came out seven years earlier. And holy shit, that is a terrifying monstrosity. But I will say, it, disregarding Sid. I actually think they do a really good job of not showing humans. There are like so many shots, like when they're in 
the friggin' pizza planet or when they're in the pizza planet car and the literally the pizza guy is kept driving there. They take every chance they get to not show any humans and it's perfect. <laughs> it like, like I'm like, yes, thank you. Thank you for not showing or doing any work towards this human because we don't need it. Like, thank you so much. Um and obviously, you know, they get better at humans. They get the monsters and I'm like, oh, she's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I I agree. I think that specifically the humans that we want to relate to and care about, specifically Andy, isn't great. It's it could be a lot worse because Hoodwinked exists. But uh, yeah, it doesn't age. <laughs> it doesn't age amazingly. Unlike the toys, which I think that the toys have are somehow evergreen in their appearance. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, maybe a moderately hot take. I think the animation of the movie on a whole has aged really well. I think definitely for sure there's there's cases to be made about uh, the humans being in Uncanny Valley, although it didn't really bother me all that much, you know, partially because, as you say, Michael, they're so de-emphasized, which is an intentional thing, by the yeah. way, because this is, you know, we're living in the world of the toys and not living in the world of the humans. It's uh, totally intentional that we never see the mom's face. We never see any adult's face or any kid's face besides Andy, Molly, Sid, and Hannah. Um, Did you just know the I names off the top? <laughs> I watched the movie yesterday. Like, wh- how do you remember Sid's I, sister's name? Because they yell yeah, it, it, and it there's a there's a plot point where Woody it. pretends to be her mom and calls out her uh, name. Yeah, Honestly, I don't remember it. Either. <laughs> okay, whatever. You guys are terrible. Um, but my my uh, what I was getting at is I think a lot of and obviously you know we've talked about like the toys the plasticky nature the way that they are supposed to sort of look solid and that works for them but I think a lot of the other you know like like the, a lot of the other animation also holds up really well I think motion in particular very articulated very smooth when it needs to be it didn't at all feel sort of jerky or robotic I think they did a great job. Uh, you know, even like especially all like you know the mechanical stuff, the the cars and the trucks, the claw, the uh, the the rocket, even the the fucking uh, sunbeams. You know when it needed to show up, and we were actually seeing the perspective of like seeing the the, the beams of sun like across the the air quote camera lens worked out really well. I think some of the you know detailing work, especially in backgrounds, was a little light, but. I think it only stands out in some places because it's actually pretty good in others, you know? And obviously this is a very old movie. This is, this movie is like the first computer animated movie ever. And it's nowhere near the standards we hold up to nowadays, but I feel like watching it, there was never a point in which the animation brought me out of the experience. And that to me means it's aged remarkably well because there are so many movies that came later that did not even achieve that. Did anyone notice the teapot? Okay, so when uh, when Buzz Lightyear is drinking the Darjeeling and getting a little off, um, he's drinking it from a teapot. So that is a very very famous teapot in the world of 3D animation, because it was it's like a it's like the Wilhelm scream of movie audio, which, which also is also in this movie. Yes, which is also in this movie because you know, and also in this movie, I will I will point out also in this movie a one thirteen right, which oh, is uh, the yeah. letters and numbers that is in every yeah, single Pixar yeah. movie. It's a reference to like where they all went to school. Yeah. Um, so anyway, just the the pot is like a famous thing in three D uh, animation, just because it's a very complicated shape because it can cast shadows on itself and it has like convex surfaces. Anyway, that was a good reference. I liked it. Nice. It was like the teapot. It was the teapot. You have heard of that? Yeah. It's the teapot and the duck. Those are the two like very famous 3D models. What I will say is that I think the 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 parts of the movie where the animation suffers the most are Woody's face and Sid's face because we see so much of it. And like I I agree. I think most of the most of the rest of the movie because you, I mean and especially like the other toys like for a dinosaur. That's got, like, nice lighting and shit. And honestly, I know it's, like, a reptilian and it's glossy and stuff, but, like, it's pretty well animated. Woody's face clips sometimes, and it's... It's because most of his facial expressions are so, like... A, they're so big. Like, he opens his mouth very wide. And also because they're the most human-like. Like, he is the one making the most human-style faces and stuff. Like, you know, the big laugh or the grinning or the, you know, like, the screaming or whatever. Buzz's face, like, facial movements are actually quite reserved. And he also has the benefit of having a plastic shield over his face for most of the movie, and therefore they can actually hide behind that during the animation and kind of soften it up a little bit. They don't have to be as precise as they are with Woody. Um, I get what you're saying with Sid about like how 
the way that he's animated is like kind of plays into the fact that he's kind of like a you know like a rougher kid or whatever and that his teeth are all fucked up but like every time they they like especially the scene where he has the magnifying glass and yep, yep, I was and, just and like that. you know his mouth is significantly larger yeah I, I mean as a kid that would be nightmare fuel as an adult i'm like wow we really have come quite a long way <laughs> so also, shout out to the dog with the two big eyes that looks oh my like God, no, that the character creation slider has been slid all the way up. <laughs> it was like you know, you know. Um, have any of you ever seen the like the the movie the the movie pitch videos on YouTube? Uh, yes. You know the guy, and you know how in the thumbnails he just takes this the poster for whatever movie he's riffing on and just blows up their eyes. Really. <laughs> yeah. That's what the dog looks like. That is what the dog looked yeah. like. It was terrifying. And and. Yeah. and that is another good point. The dog. There have been better animated dogs in future animated. Movies. I think so the dog was probably the weakest. The dog the was. Well, yeah, yeah they didn't. Did, they didn't know how to do fur yet. It's very so, yeah, and, 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 and you know, like no, the fur wasn't the problem. The fur wasn't the problem. The eyes were the problem. And I actually think that the dog will be the one exception to what I said about the animation not taking <laughs> me out of it. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this week's video that you can watch on YouTube is called The Maker, apt because we're talking about toys, uh, by Christopher Kazellos. Uh, next week is a very special episode because it's our 100th episode. So tune in for a quick retrospective on how far we've come and some trivia. But once again, thank you so much for listening, and you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. <laughs>